we're in this to make movies that, that people can see in a theater, communal experience, laugh and cry together. That's that's why we do this. So uh, that said, you know, if they happen to roll to a streaming platform, okay, you know, that's that's the way it works. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively focused on covering the motion picture exhibition industry. Joined today once again with our co-host, Rebecca Pauly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro. Uh, First off, we've got the producers of Disney's Jungle Cruise, John Davis and John Fox. They'll be joining us later on today to speak about their upcoming film and their reactions to the hybrid release model that it is going to be coming out in, as, as you may know. Jungle Cruise, after a number of delays due to the pandemic, is finally hitting theaters on Friday, opening day and date, with Disney Plus on PVOD, that premier access digital rental, costing Disney Plus subscribers $29.99. And after that, uh, we'll be doing a quick recap on the Giants of Premium Format webinar that Box Office Pro held a couple of weeks back, looking at the role of premium format auditoriums in the cinema recovery. So we've got a great lineup coming up, but before we get into the news from the weekend, Rebecca, could you share a word from our sponsors? Speaking of premium formats, Daniel, our first sponsor is immersive seating provider D-Box. D-Box is ready to welcome moviegoers back to cinemas worldwide with an exciting movie slate filled with the summer's biggest blockbusters. With each film being uniquely encoded with D-Box renowned haptic motion technology, audiences everywhere will be fully immersed in the most popular movies of the season. With ultra-comfortable seats, a customizable user experience, and with movement that's perfectly in sync with the action on screen, moviegoers will discover a premium theatrical experience unlike anything they've ever experienced before. Thank you, Rebecca, and thank you, D-Box, for sponsoring this week's episode. Our second sponsor this week is Ice Theaters, with over 100 blockbusters made available in Ice Immersive from every major studio. Ice Theaters widens the moviegoer's vision field at the movies to a new magnitude. A 220-degree angle immersive special effects during 100% of the movie length enhance the movie experience at a level never experienced before. With over 90% satisfaction, Ice Theaters convinced in France becoming the number one premium format in the territory. Combining ice immersive LED side panels, ice immersive pathways, VIP reclining seats, Dolby Atmos immersive sound, and pure RGB laser projection, Ice Theaters offers the highest standard of cinema experience. And thank you again to our sponsors at D-Box and Ice Theaters for sponsoring that Giants of Premium Format live session that we will be recapping at the end of this episode. But let's move forward with the news because we do have some things to cover before we speak to the producers of Disney's Jungle Cruise. Rebecca, what happened at the box office last weekend? Uh, It was a pretty moderate weekend, all things told. Uh, At the top two spots of the box office, we have two new films, uh, two new films, both coincidentally 
that came out with theatrical exclusivity. Uh, coming out on top was M. Night Shyamalan's Old, which debuted at $16.8 million at about 3,300 locations. And then in second place, we had Paramount release Snake Eyes, a, a sort of reboot attempt to revitalize the G.I. Joe franchise. That one, again, a soft opening with $13.3 million, around 3,500 screens. Uh, both of those two films coming out pushes Black Widow down to the third spot with about 116 on 4,250 screens, a remarkably high screen count, the largest we've seen in a while. And unfortunately, the film that played in those screens dropped 55% from that 55%? Week. That's the third weekend yeah. of, of just big, big drops from Black and Widow. And the second uh, the second week was, what, 60, 67%? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's up Two there. Two consecutive chunky, chunky drops. And, and uh, Daniel, I think, as you noted at the top of this episode, uh, the hybrid release strategy for Black Widow is something that we were able to speak about to the producers of Jungle Cruise with. But before we get to that, rounding out the top five uh, at the number four spot, last week's champion, Space Jam A New Legacy at about 9.5 million on 4,000 screens, a drop of 69%, which Ouch. is hefty. Yeah. That's tough. That's tough. And then uh. F9 at 4.6 uh, on around 2,850 screens, a drop of around 40% in its fifth weekend. This one's hanging on. Uh, this one is not yet available on home video. And uh, speaking of Black Widow, as we talk about all this data, I think it's worth pointing out the data we didn't get, the data we didn't expect to get, which is, of course, uh, those Disney Plus numbers for Black Widow's third week. Uh, Disney released some positive numbers on first week to kind of tout how well the film did on that platform under its premium access uh, vertical. Second and third uh, weekends, we have heard nothing by way of firm data. So, uh, it, it's one of, uh, several Disney related things that we're going to, we're going to talk about in this episode, Daniel. Um, what exactly is going on with Disney and CinemaCon? Because I know the headline looks rather spicy. Uh, what is the truth of what we're dealing with here? Or at least what are the facts that we know? So according to some reports on other outlets, Rebecca, we are seeing claims that Disney will not be sending any of its executives to CinemaCon. As we are recording this on July 26th, Disney is still on the schedule to give a studio presentation at the Coliseum in Caesars Palace on Wednesday morning. That still hasn't changed. Of course, this is a day-by-day -day situation. We don't know where it will end up, uh, but it isn't the first time that we've seen studios uh, take a year off. In 2019, Sony decided not to do a presentation at CinemaCon, and of course, those were in the nice rosy days where pandemics were something that happened in Steven Soderbergh movies. And of course, two years later, Sony is now there on opening night at CinemaCon. So listen, this I think is a year-to-year -year decision. I'd like to think it's easy to read into things. We just simply don't know the facts. Um, and even if we did, I don't think these are long-term decisions made by everyone. It's just a, a tricky time to put on a, a big global event. It's also very difficult to release a movie all over the world with cases still very high in many markets, rising in some markets as well as uh, the Delta variant begins to grow. 
a very tricky time, but uh, we want to thank the producers of Disney's Jungle Cruise, John Davis and John Fox, who made the time to sit down, uh, speak with us, talk very frankly, very openly about their expectations and their metrics for success on a title like Jungle Cruise. John Fox, John Davis, producers of Jungle Cruise, uh, coming out from Disney this weekend in theaters and on Disney Plus Premier Access. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Now, I know that both of you have extensive credits in this industry. You're industry veterans. I know that I I can't imagine anyone would ever uh, turn down or bypass the opportunity to work with Dwayne Johnson. But if you could say, in in your words, how you came to be involved with this project, uh, when that was, and, and how that process kind of developed to finally, finally getting this film out in theaters. Yeah, uh, it's been a long process. Uh, it's been, John, when did we when did we first pitch Disney? Was it? This has been six years. Six right? years. We had a, a story. We First of all, let me back up. We love the ride. Both John and I have been going to the theme park, you know, our entire lives. And we love, love, love the ride. And really, it felt like a unique opportunity uh, because there's, you know, there's a character in the in the jungle boat captain and there's a there's a loose story for the ride you know the imagineers always for those iconic rides have a have they're telling a story with the ride um so we felt like okay those are two assets we can use and kind of use those as jumping off points to build uh you know to build a a bigger story for the movie uh and we uh went to disney we pitched them uh, a story our own original story for the uh, for the movie and uh they said hey this is great uh can you go get a movie star and we said, sure, okay. Uh, and we uh, we reached out to Dwayne, who um, I had made a movie with years and years and years ago. Uh, that and we stayed in touch over the over the years. And um, and he, t- Dwayne, read the story, called us uh, uh, not even a day later, and said, "I'm in." And um, and then he then he called uh, Sean Bailey at Disney and said, "I'm I'm your Jungle Boat captain. I'm in." <laughs> Let's do this, and uh, and then John, you called Alan Horn, right? After I called that. Alan Horn, yeah, who was um, chairman of of the Disney Motion Picture Group, you know, who I've known for years and years and years, um, and he thought it was a great idea. And then the script came in, and it was great, and it was time to make sure we cemented Dwayne Johnson's, you know, involvement in the movie. So John. Um, and myself and Sean Bailey, who's present production, went to the set of Ballers, which he was shooting, you know, in, a, in, in suburban L.A. Mm-hmm. And we brought these books, these Disney books with him, you know, those great Disney picture books. And we showed up on set and we said, we've got four great books for you. And here's the script for the movie. And he just laughed and he looked at it and whatever. And um, he called us Monday morning and said, I'm in. It's yeah. great. It, I gotta say, it was a, as 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 these you know the movies can be a tortured process. This wasn't. I mean, we got we got very lucky that we had a supportive studio from the get go, and we had a movie star who was just passionate about this role and about this movie as a potential franchise. So we just we we just we kind of got the stars aligned on this one. Yeah. Now, this movie, Jungle Cruise, has been compared conceptually or maybe strategically to a franchise like Pirates of the Caribbean. Do you guys think that's a fair comparison? Are you comfortable with it? What's your yeah, reaction to I, those I comparisons? I think that's a great comparison. Are you kidding? Right? Of course. If somebody tells you you're, you're as handsome as Brad Pitt, 
Are you going to be like, no, I don't think so? Whoa, well, wait, younger sure. Brad Pitt, though. John, younger Brad Pitt. Younger Brad Pitt. I mean, come on. Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean, we should be so lucky to be in that same conversation. That's one of the greatest adventure, fran- maybe the greatest adventure franchise of all time. You know. Well, so- and by the way, two and a half billion people have been on the Jungle Cruise ride, not only in Disneyland, but in, in, in Florida, in some of the international parks so it may be the most ridden ride in the history of of disney well and and pirates of the caribbean that franchise was one that really proved the power of international markets and international audiences i mean that fourth one didn't do so well in the united states but it made a ton internationally and uh john fox i mean we were just talking about this before recording the call about how uh, dwayne johnson has that same kind of international appeal he does. I mean, he really does. He's a brand. Dwayne has, he has evolved, uh, you know, from just an actor, from a movie star to a global brand now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think he is the only actor I can think of, you know, that is truly, truly a, a global brand. Uh, and it, it, yeah, I mean, it, with Dwayne and the power of his social media, you know, he's reaching more people on his social media than any Disney platform, I would imagine. At this point, you know, he's reaching 200 million people with every with every post it's or more. I I haven't kept track of his latest tally of followers, but um, but yeah, it's 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 extraordinary. And and his acumen for marketing is extraordinary. I mean, the guy is so tapped in to how to how to market himself, the movie, um, how to really, um, you, you know, get his fans excited you know, about, um, about whatever it is that he's promoting. Dwayne, Dwayne's a marketing genius. I mean, I think it I must mean, go back did, to his. He, he, is, he did what Arnold Schwarzenegger figured out early on, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. if you're willing to go to all those international markets, because in those international markets, to become a star in those markets, they want to see you and they want you there. You have to put in the time yeah. in the junkets. I, I, I say that all the time. Will Smith is another great example of these global stars. You see them in talk shows in foreign languages with the ear with yeah. the earpiece. They put in that work. Dwayne Johnson is one of those movie stars truly at that global level. John, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. 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 Will Smith too. Will Smith, you know, if Will Smith wanted, I feel like Will Smith kind of made the choice at some point, uh, you know, a few years ago, just kind of start doing interesting movies. And because he was, when he was in his sweet spot, when he was doing the men in blacks and he was, there was a guy, that guy, that guy was Dwayne Johnson before there was, Will Smith was mm-hmm. everything. You're releasing your film with uh, two different asterisks attached to what the box office performance will be for theater owners. First, it's coming off of a recovering market. The pandemic is still a reality, not only here in the US, in many countries around the world, and the additional asterisk of it being available on uh, PVOD, day and date, uh, a very controversial uh, decision, I think, for, for a lot of our colleagues in exhibition and in different countries. Um, with all of that around the title, for you guys as producers, what is your success metric for this film, for you to be comfortable and sort of step back and say, all right, we're happy with the performance? Well, I just want to point out to the, the original Pirates did about $30, $31 million its opening weekend, right? And it just kept going. And then it was huge internationally. You know, so there are certain movies. I remember Jumanji, the first Jumanji opened to $25 million its opening weekend and just kept going. We we've tested this movie with audiences and we know that it tests through the roof. 
all of the reviewers who have seen this movie, we've shown this to distributors around the world, theater owners, uniformly, they love this movie. This movie really, really plays. And so I think it's possible this movie does a six to one expansion multiple, right? You don't get that very often. Uh, you certainly don't get it on an action movies. You certainly don't get it on horror pictures, but you can get it off of a film that's four quadrant, has a family component to it, but has those other audience metrics to it like Pirates did. So it'll be very interesting to see really not the opening number so much as where are we in six or seven weeks because there's mm -hmm. no other family movies coming after us. Mm -hmm. And that we're excited about. You know, I do worry sometimes, you know, about the day and date because right now I think, you know, with this variant circulating, parents, we, we can see it in the numbers, people, you know, comfortable taking their kids to theaters. It's been going down a little bit lately, you know, so it may push more and more families you know, to, to Disney plus, but I am so happy. And I know John will say the same thing that we're going to have an opportunity to show this the way it should be shown, which is in the theater. Cause it is a big movie with big sound, great set pieces, big music. And the way to see this movie and enjoy it is with an audience and seeing it on a huge screen. And it was shot that way. And it's supposed to be that way. You know, another movie that is like that, that is very much the big screen experience that hits that four quadrant appeal, even though it's not so much a family movie, uh, is Black Widow, which also had that hybrid release strategy from Disney, a fun, spectacular movie. Um, that second week drop, I, I, I don't, I don't want to get too negative here, but it's just factual. It, it was steep. What's your reaction been to seeing Black Widow's theatrical run play out? I can't, you know, I, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. I, I love the movie. I absolutely love mm -hmm. the movie. Um, I thought it was such a good time um, and smart and fun. I just, I loved it. Uh, so I thought word of mouth would have been uh, better. Does Disney Plus, you know, did Disney Plus cannibalize it a little bit more on the second weekend? Maybe. I honestly, I honestly don't know, but that steep of a drop-off, there has to be some fundamental reason why. It's too big a drop-off for it to just kind of be, uh, you know, margin of error. Like, it, it's, it's, it, there has to be a very clear reason why. I, I don't think it was the quality of the films. I can, I can only attribute it possibly to the Disney Plus of it all. But listen, I mean, I don't know. Disney hasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't announce the second week numbers, right? Yeah. And no. these, are, these, are un, these are unusual times, so it's yeah. impossible yeah. to point to a single reason for anything. Yeah. And we definitely don't want to try to do that because that's no, a fool's no. errand. I uh, know, of course well, not. Well, I yeah. mean, where Disney Plus, I think, is really going to help us is in those Latin American countries because mm -hmm. they're under-vaccinated right now. And the virus is really raging there. And, you know, I suspect in a lot of those great Latin American markets like Brazil, Argentina, you know, or Colombia, you know, people are, are going to be uncomfortable going into theaters. So the fact that we can go into their homes, you know, I actually am thankful for. But look, we believe that movies should be in movie theaters and, and it's, these times will be over. And I hope that's what happens. You know, that's why I got into this business as a kid growing up. I saw those movies in Denver, Colorado, and then my father owned a movie theater. And so we had the oh, nice. a movie theater. We had the first twin in Colorado. 
And I used to see like 300 movies a year, right? And, you know, we used to get really excited when we would have Star Wars and there was a line around the block. We thought, isn't it? We would watch the line and go, this is the greatest thing in the world. And I just think as an industry, we have to do everything we can do as we come out of this pandemic to make sure those theaters are thriving and survive and that people watch movies that way because I believe they want to. And there's nothing like the communal experience of watching a movie. That is half the fun. Amen to that. But I will say Disney Plus for families, for people who are not comfortable taking their kids to the movie theaters right now. What a great asset to have. I mean, for, for this movie, for every movie right now, uh, it is, uh, it's good. It's good that families can, can see it, you know? Um, so look, yeah, yeah because they, otherwise they would probably, especially now, you know, you know, a lot of families would be afraid to go to the theaters and we needed to release this movie sooner or later. Right. We'd sat on it for a year. It's easy for us to sit down and analyze performance uh, theatrically when it comes to making decisions based on these hybrid models. How in the dark are you guys as producers? Do you guys have access to data points or is that a gap for producers as much as it is for the rest of the industry? You get you get them incidentally they kind of share them with you we do this at netflix a lot we had a john i had a big movie at netflix dolomite eddie murphy movie which was one of my favorites of the years by the way uh, i hate to interrupt but that was just a spectacular movie and i wish i'd seen it on the big screen thank you it's fun on the big screen yeah we've seen it it is And, and we john and i got to test it with audiences where they go crazy and it's like with a comedy half the fun of the movie is the raucous audience, that mm-hmm. laughter, right? It's something that's funny. The audience makes it even funnier with the way they react to it, right? I mean, but what kind so of data did Netflix give you on that? They gave well, us some incidental, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't print anything out. They didn't give us comparisons. You know, they said you did really great. You did really great in the foreign markets. You know, you over-indexed. The algorithm went to sleep happy last night. You know what I mean? So you. Yeah. They kind of suggest it so you can put it together, but nobody really shares the hard facts or puts it into context. Does they that make your yeah. do, does that make your job tougher as producers that to, to sort of have to poke around and, and guess on audience uh, response or are the success metrics different today than they our, our were five job, years ago? Our job is to make great movies. I was I, I was going to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Tell great stories. That's our job. You know, um, mm-hmm. we can't, it's out of our control, you know, release right. strategy, what platform, theatrical screen does it, it's out of our, it's out of our control. You know, mm-hmm. um, it does. I get frustrated when, especially when, when you're working with the platform streaming platform and they don't, they don't give you, they kind of hint at numbers, but then they don't give you comps. So you mm-hmm. don't know, you don't know like, okay, but I, I, okay. I hear that number, but I don't know. Uh, against like what's what are the comps like am I am I above the comp am I below like what I don't know what the expectation is you know so that can be frustrating you know especially um you know we'll find out with Jungle Cruise but Disney Plus you know has only been around for a little bit so I they don't probably have real historic comps you know yet um they've got a few films but you know mm-hmm. but um I'm, I'm curious I'm, I'm you know, nobody has nobody has told us what their expectations would be for either a theatrical number or a Disney plus number. So, well, and I, and I think in these pandemic times, you know, they really don't know themselves. They don't know how to calibrate. I mean, they can look at profit and loss, I'm sure, but they don't know how to calibrate, um, you know, 
really what's a success and what's not a success, you know, um, you know, because really it could be what a success is, is that, you know, um, the movie funds, like we believe our movie will a sequel. Right. And so the movie did really, really well. Audiences loved it, you know, and, and you go and you make a sequel knowing that the sequel will come out when everybody's back to theaters and the world gets back to normal. Right now that there are so many question marks in the recovery process for movie theaters, as producers, what role does theatrical play for you in the coming years in your profession? Every movie we are trying to make, every movie we have in development, I believe we have 39 movies in development right now. Every one of them is geared for a theatrical movie experience. We love movies coming out in theaters. That, to us, is how we grew up. That is how people traditionally have seen movies in this country. And I think that we have a real obligation, this generation of movie producers and this industry, to the people of the last 80 years who got us to this point, right, who created this tradition who created this industry, who created this American, uniquely American form of entertainment that's now gone around the world. I will do everything possible to support movie theater viewing in movie theater viewing of movies, our movies or anybody else's. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. We're in this, we're in this to make movies, uh, to make movies that, that people can see in a theater, communal experience, laugh and cry together. That's, that's why we do this. So uh, that said, you know, if they happen to roll to a streaming platform, okay. You know, that's, that's the way it works. It's been a six year process for this movie. I mean, you don't spend six years on a movie thinking the people will watching it on their, uh, on their computers. If they do, they do, but that's not your, your vision when you go to sleep at night. Look, no, of, know, course, we, of course, we, we made a movie that we always wanted to make a Disney movie, a big blockbuster movie, a big event movie a movie with a great big movie star. And we could never predicted the road, the distribution of it would take, um, but we're rolling with the punches. You know, one of the things I, uh, I really admired from that interview with John Davis and John Fox is that their love of the big screen, uh, you know, really did come through in hearing that they want Jungle Cruise uh, to be seen on the big screen. Uh, speaking, of course, of big screens, Daniel, just recently you hosted a box office live session webinar on premium formats. Now, that's including things like IMAX and exhibitor-branded PLF, large screens, but also things like immersive seating. Just the general array of premium experiences that data has shown us has actually been been pretty useful at getting moviegoers to come back for their first visit back to the theater after the pandemic. Now, typically, Daniel, I want to I clarify something for our listeners here now. When we in Box Office Pro refer to PLF, premium large format, typically we're talking about an IMAX or just to put it bluntly, an exceptionally large screen. Uh, now, in, in arranging this webinar, I know that you were very conscious in how you presented premium formats. Uh, could you go a little bit into, into detail about what premium formats mean for the industry at this time? Premium large format auditoriums, to put it succinctly, are movie theater auditoriums that have elevated technology. Now that can be recliner seats, immersive audio, 
uh, immersive seating, for example. You can have laser projection. It doesn't just have to be one thing. It's any factor that elevates the traditional movie-going experience and usually has a premium price point attached to it. Now, the way Charlotte Jones uh, from Omdia describes premium large formats is by making two distinctions. A global branded PLF, which that is an auditorium that happens through a third-party vendor's brand, let's say like IMAX or RealD, or it can be through, let's say, an immersive seating provider like uh, D-Box, right? Or it can be an exhibitor-branded premium large format auditorium, which cherry-picked different technologies into, say, a bespoke package under a circuit's branding. So Cinemark has that with Cinemark XD. Or, for example, Marcus Theaters has a couple of uh, exhibitor PLF brands. They've got the Marcus Super Screen and Marcus Ultra Screen. Now, a lot of theaters have a mix of global branded PLFs and exhibitor branded PLFs. It's a really interesting split uh, that they have. And uh, it's put a lot of circuits around the world in an interesting position as they consider which direction to take. Where do they allocate that CapEx? Do they develop something on their own? Or do they go out and license a technology that's already proven uh, and out there? And that leads to our first audio clip from that session from the global sales director of ICE Theaters, Guillaume Tomin Desmasur, speaking about how his parent company, Francis uh, CGR Cinema Circuit, developed the ICE Theaters uh, concept while looking for an option in the marketplace. ICE Theater is a, is, a, is, is a fairly new product. It's very recent. It's been invented by Jocelyn Buissy, the uh, actual CEO of CGR Cinema. And ICE Theater is a spin-off of CGR Cinema, 700 screens and over 70 sites in France. Um, and, and basically what we did is we looked at all the very impressive premium large formats and those that we found impressive were uh, financially challenging for us and those that were uh, financially easy to recoup were not that impressive for us. So we tried to uh, build our own uh, premium large format, which initially was only uh, for our own market, our own uh, theatres. But um, all of a sudden, it started to uh, generate interest um, outside of our own circuit in France. And we realized that maybe this model that has been invented by an exhibitor might interest other exhibitors. Yeah. And what really uh, comes across in this quote for me from Des Miseurs is really something that we've been talking about for the entire industry as a whole. Now is really a time for experimentation. You know, you have to experience with what your customers want in what uh, in what combinations, which will differ depending on, on what market we're in. You know, Daniel, as you know, if you go into the MENA market right now, it's just an absolute craze for any kind of premium format that you can get. To that end, uh, another one of the speakers on this panel was uh, Jean-Francois Gagnon, Global Sales Director of Theatrical at D-Box. Um, we pretty much work with, you know, all the major general like action, family title, horror. We see that, you know, the aptic bring really a value there and the consumer recognize the, the value. So they're willing to pay for the extra. And like we said, it's not something they have at home. And, you know, the coding that we do, it's really um, artistic concept. Uh, we have sound uh, uh, professional that uh, listen to the movie in a D-box chair and they make sure, you know, to put the, the right uh, amount of motion where it's needed so that the guests have 
uh, ancient uh, experience. And what we see is that the number that we have today, post-COVID, uh, for example, a title like Godzilla uh, versus Kong are even better than pre-COVID. Rebecca, it was a great conversation. I was really lucky to have it. And I'm looking forward to our next uh, webinar recap that's actually coming next week, is it? When you'll be able to recap the conversation that you're having this week with members from the Women in Exhibition Industry Group. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I don't want to talk it up too much because by the time uh, this episode airs on Thursday, it will have happened uh, two days ago. However, Box Office Pro and Women in Exhibition are collaborating on a webinar series, the latest of which is talking to some really spectacular, amazing future leaders of exhibition. Uh, Nicole Denson-Randolph from AMC, Gurbrani Marwa from Cineplex, and Esther Barra and Jackie Brenneman from NATO, really to dig into some of the uh, some of the innovations and the changes that, to the status quo that should happen as the industry reforms itself after the COVID nineteen pandemic. So um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be recapping that in next week's episode to share some of those insights with you. And that's going to be coming up next Thursday in the next episode here of the Box Office Podcast. On behalf of Rebecca, myself, and everyone here at Box Office Pro, we want to thank all our guests from that Giants of Premium Large Format webinar to John Davis and John Fox, producers of Jungle Cruise, our guests this week, and you, the listeners, for your support week in, week out of our podcast. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to rate us. Don't forget to review us. It really helps us out, really makes it easier for us to continue doing this podcast. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with the Box Office Company alongside Record Edit Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you again next week. Mm-hmm.